The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Hi, I'm Erin McCabe, the Ministry Director here at the Music Row location. If I haven't met you yet, I really hope that I'll be able to meet you when we're able to be together again, hopefully soon. My hope is that part of this, as part of this church community, even while you're staying at home, that you have ways that you can worship, connect, and serve. Um, You may be thinking, how can I do that even when I'm staying at home? Well, I have a few ways for you. On Wednesdays at 4.30 p.m., we gather together as a church body over Zoom to go over questions from the sermon from the worship service on Sunday. Um, This is a chance for you to ask our pastor, Stacy some of your hardest questions. If you would like to join the call, you can find the Zoom link in our newsletter that goes out weekly, or you can email me, and you can find my email address on the website. One way you can connect during this time is by joining a connect group. And one of the best parts about a connect group right now is that these groups are going to stay together even even when we're able to be together in person. So these relationships that you start to form will continue. You can find a group and sign up on our website. And right now, there is an opportunity for us to serve our neighbors at Graceworks, which is a food pantry in Franklin. Um, They are looking for donations of canned goods, toilet paper, diapers, and many other things. You can find more information about that on our website. And now I'm going to read today's scripture, which is Luke 12, 32 to 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, thank you, Erin Emac, as she's known on our staff. So good to have her here and uh, read the scripture for us. It feels more uh, like a Sunday morning, even no one is, even though no one is out in the pews. It's encouraging to um, have a familiar face uh, read this morning. Well, hi, my name is Stacy Croft. I'm the lead pastor for our Music Row location of Christ Presbyterian Church. And if I haven't gotten to meet you, I'd love to meet you, of course, by Zoom, phone call, email, any sort of way. Uh, my email, and um, you can have access to that. It's on the website. You can find it there. Would love to get to know you. You know, during this time, um, and last week even, we talked uh, my sermon and all of ours at our location, and we, we preached the same topic. And uh, this week, we're talking about uh, God's provision, and it's actually from the same passage. Uh, you know, last week, we talked a lot about anxiety and worry and uh, how God really uh, allows us to bring our anxiety and make sense of it and work in it. But this week, it's connected to a little bit more. Uh, the fear and anxiety is connected to what we own and possess. And there has been nothing like a time where all of us, no matter how much we actually possess or own, we've all been kind of humbled, brought to our knees. Uh, there's an article that I've um, really reached back to quite a bit. Um, some I've shared with 
uh, with some of you before from a woman named uh, Kate Bowler. She's an assistant professor of history of Christianity at, at um, uh, North America and Duke at Duke University Divinity School. And uh, she wrote this some time ago when um, she received the news that she had cancer. And she grew up in a background where she thought about blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Kind of the, the prosperity gospel. That if you believe this, these things, then your life should be all working out. Everything should be just right. And it's specifically when it comes to our possessions and money, that all of the things that we have should line up just perfectly. Well, she says in this, and I think it's um, so perfect for us this morning to think about it, um, when she says, um, blessed is a loaded term because it blurs the distinction between uh, two very different categories, gift and reward. It can be a term of pure gratitude. Thank you, God. I, I could not have secured this for myself. But it can also imply that it was deserved. Thank you, me, for being the kind of person who gets it right, who gets the blessing. It's a perfect word for an American society that it's, it says it believes the American dream is based on hard work and not luck. The prosperity gospel popularized a Christian explanation for why some people make it and some do not. They revolutionized prayer as an instrument for getting God always to say yes. And it offers people a guarantee. Follow these rules and God will reward you, heal you, and restore you. And it goes on to say in that how she's wrestling with her own uh, difficulty of what does it really mean now that she has the news of her own prosperity being threatened what does it really mean to be blessed? What does it really mean to have all the things that you think you own be threatened? If there's anything about this passage that draws that out, it's really when all of our needs are threatened. Specifically, it's talking about money, possessions, but really when all the things that we depend on, that we really think that we've put our back into and we've earned it and we've gotten it and God kind of helps us along the way. But then it really flips it on its head, doesn't it? It is interesting that during this time, that simultaneously both prayer and giving have actually skyrocketed. They've gone through the roof. Why is that? Why is there a correlation between the two? The Bible doesn't lack at all in talking about our relationship to our possessions, our relationship to our needs, and what it really does to our hearts, and how we can easily confuse our needs, our, uh, the things we receive, the gifts for the actual giver. I think that's what Kate was getting at, is how easy it is to, in being blessed, view our gifts as something as what is really most important. And oftentimes we can thank God for those things and yet think that they are deserved and maybe even the most important thing. There's been nothing like this time to really reverse that thinking. I know in myself, as I've seen, just like any, any of you, the number in my account going down, the number of, uh, my, the amount of energy, resources, the needs of, of just everyday grocery runs, those kind of things that we depend on that we think are just so automatic that we're just blessed to have how great we are. 
And yet when they're threatened as they have been, it's really forced me, and I'm sure it has you, to ask the question, God, do you really provide? Do you really know my need? Do you really know what I need? And also it forces us to say, what do I really believe is the thing I serve most? Is it the gift or is it the giver? You know, we're gonna look at this passage in two ways. And I think God um, had laid it out in that way for us to see. Two ways. One is our hearts. That always our possessions are connected to our hearts. Uh, Jesus is constantly making this. All through the Bible, there's a relationship of that. And then secondly, we're gonna look at our hands. How our hands actually take these gifts and deliver them. That, that our hands are intimately connected to our hearts. What we treasure, there our heart is also. What we pursue, what we put our hands into, there is our heart. So we're going to talk about our hearts and our hands. And we're going to look at those things from this passage. You know, first, as, as he talks about this, and I want to actually begin at the end of the passage when he says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Bible spins, and particularly Luke, this where this is drawn from, makes a lot of connections to possessions, a lot of connections to treasures, things that are things that we own, things that we pursue to get a hold of, whether it be specifically money or other things. And when it talks about this, it often connects that even if it's not the greatest, most valuable in terms of money, it could be something that we treasure the most. Whatever we we treasure, our heart is connected to it, wherever that is. So it's really a formula in a sense to make, to understand what we really value the most. Uh, you know, I have these, this set of football cards in my house and I've, you know, when I was little, I collected them, football and baseball, but mainly football cards. And even at the beginning, at the front of it, it's a binder. I found it, my parents' house, maybe a year or two ago. And I, man, I was just, just, portaled back in time to when I collected these and and even the pages still are in order of what I found was most valuable you know the certain quarterbacks or running backs or football cards and then on into the the baseball cards and, and in order of who are the people that were first draft choice who are the people I love the most well I brought this binder home and my 10-year-old son, I think this was a, a, when he was nine at the time, you know, he was doing the things on, on the bus where they trade cards. They were getting into it. And I found out one day that he had taken, I'd shown him these cards. He had actually taken my binder of what, <clears throat> and taken it to school and was showing all these people. And they were starting to talk about trading cards. And, and he came home and I found myself overwhelmed with frustration and a, and a fierce guarding anger of like, how, how would you ever take this binder? You're never allowed to take this. Just kind of went overboard with it. But what, what did it show? It really showed what I really cared about most. I mean, these cards, who knows how much they're actually worth, but uh, they may be worth a dollar here, maybe even a little bit more. But what it really showed is what I treasured. It showed where my heart really was. It evoked a deep passion for what I protected most. It was what I treasured. And it, that is really what it, this passage is asking us to do. It's asking us to actually look and be honest about what evokes that in us. And I'll tell you, this time has really forced us 
to step back when all the, the things are threatened like that, the things that, that we cherish the most, be it money, be it our security in it, uh, be it our homes, be it our jobs, we've lost a lot. And we're gonna talk more about that in a moment. But, but it's the thing that evokes our emotion, the thing that we put time in, energy in. Isn't that what I did with the cards? I mean, I had taken time to lay those cards out. I had gone to the store and purchased those. I'd put my, my whole effort into that. And that's what the word heart means. When, when the Hebrews talked about there your heart will be also, what they were getting at wasn't just an emotion. It was your heart was everything. It was your will. It was your thought life. It was what you centered everything around. It was wrapping your life around something that you could possess and own. But here's what's interesting. Matthew's version of this uh, passage, and, and Luke does this in other ways, Matthew's version of this passage draws this out to say, you cannot serve both God and money. It, in fact, Luke says this in other spaces in his book, and in other passages of the Bible, it says that. It's constantly saying this, that we think we buy things to own them. But the truth is we have to watch out and be careful because what we own wants to own us. There's a concept of, of serving, of, of, of a master, of someone who's um, of ownership and servitude here. That you can either serve God or you can serve money, but you can't serve both. It's not like having two jobs. It's saying you either go full on into this life of serving money or you full on into serving God. It doesn't mean you give up money to serve God, but it is saying you can only serve, you can only bend the knee to one. And that's a hard thing. These people were working class. These people in this book, uh, in this chapter that were listening to to Jesus speak were working class. They were living paycheck to paycheck, which many of you may be doing and may have been doing. And especially now, every dollar looks like uh, it's, it's to be stretched as far as it can. And they were worried about what was gonna come next. They were anxious. They were thinking about things of how do we keep our money? How are we gonna be okay? How do we ask that question? How do we take care of the things that we have? And I think in this pandemic time, even if you're okay, and as many of you may have said, everyone's still looking at their possessions in a different way. We're looking at the Dow Jones. We're all, we're all looking into the economy, our job, what it, what it does to us, even working from home and how it's affecting us. We're all, we're all having to take in our possessions and our money and look at them in a whole new light. Because the point of this whole thing is to say, possessions, draw out the real you. See, the, the whole point of serving God or money, the whole point of ownership being the center of what possessions and money do, and particularly with our relationship to God, is that it actually says, you know what? When you interact, when your heart connects to the things you treasure, you're really revealing what you rev who you really are. You're really showing you. Uh, and there's oftentimes a misquoted verse, particularly from 1 Timothy about money, that, that money is the root of all evil. Actually, is that, that's never in the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about money as evil. The, the Bible talks about the, it, this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Money itself isn't the root of evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. That is, if we serve it, it does create a specific life to live out. It's not the money itself. It's that our hearts treasure it. It's that we're bending the knee. It's that we want that. You know, in this chapter, right before this passage, Jesus provides a parable for the people. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And in this parable, Jesus has a man come up to him to talk about, hey, be an arbitrator. I'm trying to deal with somebody in my family with um, money. And I need you, Jesus, to be kind of the arbitrator. And Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. Because your heart is taking you in a very difficult direction. And he says this parable He has a rich man who thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops, he said. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see what he's saying? He's saying that what we do with money, it's not the money itself. It's that laying up the treasure towards ourselves, and none of us can take it with us. It's it's wealth that we think for now can bring us comfort and security, but it really can't. It's like an indicator light. It's often one that we ignore. You know, uh, many of you have had this. I've had this in my car. I have one on right now that's kind of annoying me. An indicator light that comes on, and it's not really affecting the trajectory of my car. It's not really uh, doing anything to it, so far as I know. But I do know that if I take in my car, that indicator light is gonna be told to me that this is really producing a problem that's gonna cost me more the longer I leave it on. It's something I ignore. It's something I think, oh, it's not gonna bother me. It's one of those things where we think about what are are the neighborhoods we need to live in to feel okay? What's the income bracket that would would get me to feel just fine, especially in this time? Where do I I need to have? What, What do I need to have to feel this good, to feel comfortable? What are the ways, the needs that we have that we don't think are going to be met by God so we build up wealth in ourselves in order that we can trust us more than him? You know, this is why Jesus begins the passage by saying, little flock. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He gives them two metaphors to help their heart understand what's really at stake here. And he says, where the, who tre- it's not about how, what our heart treasures, but for us to understand who really treasures us. You know, if this is a really uh, possessions and money, and as the scripture tells them, is a, is a position of ownership, who's the one that really owns us and treasures us in a way that money really can't? The first one is he says, little flock. And really this is um, language of a shepherd, you know, in, in that time, the shepherd would, be, would have been understood a lot more of that, that illustration than we have now. But what a shepherd does by uh, protecting, caring, tending. You know, it's, it, it's as we go to stores, and I, maybe you've seen this a number of times. You go to a grocery store or somewhere else and you, you tend to walk through the shelves. And I've been just amazed. I even took some pictures just to remind me of the shelves that uh, 
are just completely bare. Maybe there's one package of something on that, particularly their paper towels or disinfectant wipes or something like that that are running out. But there are all those signs along the way that say, due to limited constraints, please only take up to two packages. You know, that kind of feeling when you read that and you see the shelves empty, or maybe you see only one package there. Or maybe there's more and there's the temptation to get more. Maybe, maybe you see it on the shelf and you think, gosh, I'm, I'm tempted to see how many I can get before the checker comes to me. That's the feeling, we, that's the heart that the Lord wants. That's the fear we have. And I think we need to admit it. I think one of the things that we need to keep doing that maybe this is drawn out in us is to actually be honest about the fear we have about our possessions. That every single person in the whole world right now is having to look at what they own and what they have. Even if they have enough and they're not really as impacted fiscally by this, what's going on. Most people are. And we need to be honest about the fear that really is there. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd addresses the fear of the sheep. A shepherd comes in when all of the sheep are being attacked, when there are predators nearby, when there's places that need to, they need to go to drink water or to have sustenance. A shepherd leads, he protects, he cares, he tends, and he does so because he knows the needs of the sheep. I think Jesus is trying to get us to say, look, as much as we can turn to money to tell us, hey, this can really solve my needs, the one who really knows our needs is the true shepherd, the one who actually owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And money can't protect us like we think it can. You know, the the Proverbs do a great job. Proverbs is a book, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's a, a book of wisdom literature that tells us about uh, money in, its, uh, in great illustration. And oftentimes we see it as a, as a tower we can hide ourselves in, a place that we can kind of find ourselves nestled in to where we can be secure. And don't we do that? I, I, I know the same things that you know, that when I see a certain number in that account, when I see a, a certain check come in, when I see a certain thing there that provides me that sense of security, then I feel secure. Jesus is trying to take their eyes off of what cannot own them to the one who does own them, the one who actually allows them to grieve loss. You know, as people here who were in a certain income bracket, the people that were always afraid of what came next, a slight famine would destroy these people as much as it's brought all of us to our knees in a simple virus. And it's caused us to ask these questions. It does the same. How can we not fear it? What allows us to say we've lost is because we have a shepherd that knows our needs. Money can't tend to our care, can't tend to our fear, can't tend to what we've lost. It can't comfort us in the way we need to grieve what we have lost. Because long after this virus leaves and maybe things come back to normal maybe after years we don't go into a deeper recession and maybe things come back we still have encountered loss we have hit deep loss and we need to grieve and it's okay the bible's not saying you shouldn't grieve over loss or lack 
It's not even addressing the fact that there's not needy. Look, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. There are those who are needy and we have needs. And some of us have our needs met more easily and some don't, but we are all in this to understand who's the shepherd who takes care of the sheep, who leads us along the way so that we can understand who's protecting us. That's what a shepherd does. Money is a terrible a, a, a terrible comfort in grief because all it does is say, hey, if you have more of me, then you can feel better. If you just had a little bit more, if you just had a little bit of space here, then you could feel better. Sure, you could. But when do we know that space is enough? When do we know and how much are we giving to our possessions and our money to really tell us what we feel and what we think and who ultimately who we are, because it owns us. Jesus is saying, no, 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 little flock. I tend you. I know you. I know what grass is better. I know what cliffs to not get nearby. I know what water is best to drink. And he not only calls them a little flock, but he also says, Jesus says, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Shepherd and a father. You know, One of the hardest things as a father is to understand the two questions that we need to teach our children. If any of you uh, work with children, been around children, all of us have been children, and the hardest thing for us to understand was how loved we are and what limits we have. (laughs) And and to, to learn and be, to answer the question, how do we answer the question, am I loved? And can I get my own way? Those two questions are the two questions we're always asking. And that's how what we're trying to to learn and teach. And this is what it means to be a father, that the father has pleasure. It's his good pleasure to give to his children. But to give them anything they want, can they get their own way, could cause deep, deep trouble. As my kids are getting older, they're pushing the boundaries. They're asking a lot of the questions. And I get it. They're constantly asking these two questions. Can I get my own way? And am I loved? And the thing that they need to know, they're infinitely loved, but they also have finite boundaries. Because I wouldn't love them if I didn't give them boundaries. And I'll tell you what, one of the hardest things is to see our lack and to see what we want in our lives and to not have it and to think that God doesn't love us. to to think that his heart is far from us. And this is what possessions do. They start to creep into the cracks to say, "Uh, God doesn't doesn't love you that much, does he? This is what what happened at the beginning of the Bible. The very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, if you're unfamiliar, it begins with this wonderful deep relationship where God literally gives a garden with everything in it to Adam and Eve. But he says, do not eat of this one tree. And yet they do. And they take of it. And they're forced out of the garden. And you would think that God in that moment, even in that moment, he as a father of Adam and Eve would say, you need to, you need to, you need to just get away from me. Get out. You've, you've, You've totally disobeyed. You're horrible. But you know what? He doesn't. They realize they're naked and they run and hide. Adam and Eve do. And his words to them are, where are you? 
Where are you? Same words he's been asking us even ever since. Where are you? And he, he doesn't just do that, but he clothes them. He even in their disobedience clothes them and sends them out. You know, one of the things I've loved doing with my uh, boys as Cole and Jake, my boys, we've been housebound is playing hide and go seek. And one of the things that, that we do uh, when we play hide and go seek is they go hide somewhere and, and they start, when they hide, they start doing this funny thing. They start whistling. They go, woo-hoo, like that. All the while giving me hints to where would they be? Where are they? And I'm supposed to act like I don't know. But I always find it interesting because they whistle and they give me like whoop, whoop, and little chirps, like look up here. You know? And when I find them, one of the greatest things is when I find them and jump on them or, you know, hug them or grab them up in my arms is that so they're so excited about it. And what I've realized is it's in their DNA. Yeah, they want to hide and it's fun and we all want to hide. And yet in the deepest recesses of them, they whistle, why? Because they want to be found. They want their father to find them because it is even in their hiding that they want to be known. There's something in them that even when we want to hide, even in the shame, even when we are disobedient, we want the one who's in relationship to us to take care of us. Money can't do that. Our possessions, the things we own can't. And I think we've really seen that. Even if you haven't, I would ask you to take inventory of your heart of who's the one that comes to find you when you hide? No possession does. It never asks, where are you? And even in their disobedience, Jesus, the Lord God sends Adam and Eve out clothed. He clothes them again to hide their nakedness. And he still gives to them because he's a good father. And he gives, and it is his good pleasure to give them these things. Why is it in the Lord's prayer that we pray all the time? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now think about that for a second. Why does Jesus give the disciples that prayer? Why does he give it to us to pray that? Because we have to go first through the character of God to then get to what he gives us. It, he doesn't avoid the fact that we need to pray. We need to be asking God to give to us. And, and, and hear me, please hear me now. Be in prayer for that. Ask the Lord to give because he gives. But don't forget that he always wants us to first, in that prayer, know who the giver is before we get to the gifts. He wants us to know his character. Our father, the greatest father we could ever know. Hallowed be thy name, yet he's holy. He is the father of fathers. Wise, holy, set apart, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe it is, maybe it is because this time, maybe it, because it's his kingdom and his will be done, which is so hard to pray, especially in these moments. Wouldn't it be amazing if we realize right now, what if God has allowed all this to happen so that we can 
hear him coming. And instead of us really hiding from him, he's, he's telling us, let me find you. He's pulling back the covers from where we're hiding. He's pulling, opening the door from the closet from where we've been. He's coming to where we are as a good father because he's pleased with us and he loves us. He loves us. And because he loves us, we can't always get our own way. And praise be to God for it because what if we're being protected from even more? Have we even stopped and maybe asked, what if he's protecting us from getting everything we want and taking this away right away so that we're forced to come out of hiding from underneath the possessions and the things that we own that have owned us for so long so that we can know what it really means to be owned by him? See, that's the only way we can give. That's the only way. It begins that way, right? Then he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What goes deepest to our heart goes widest to the world. What addresses the deepest parts of our heart goes widest why have both prayer, and you can read it in articles, you can see it in uh, uh, many accounts. Why has prayer and giving gone up at the same time? Because they are linked. Because there's something about us needing someone bigger than us, someone who really is our shepherd, who really is our father, that also drives us to not grip our possessions, but to release them, to open our hands, to sell, to give, to to. To look, it's more than just, are we happy? But it's meaningful. The Atlantic talked about this at one point. I said, there's more to life than being happy. I love what they say. They said, leading a happy life, the psychologist found, is also associated with being a taker. While leading a meaningful life corresponds with being a giver. Talked about happiness. Specifically, researchers found that people who are happy tend to think that life is easy. They're in good physical health and they're able to buy the things that they need and want. While not having enough money decreases how happy and meaningful you consider your life to be, it has much greater impact on happiness. The happy life is defined more of stress. The meaningful life is more defined by giving and associated with life. See, it's not more happiness, more giving. It's more meaning, more giving. And what does God do? He says, the more you understand your meaning, the more you understand who you are before the shepherd and the father, the more you will give. The more you go through his character, the more you will understand what it means to not only pray for your own bread that you need, but also give to those who are in need. It won't be reciprocity. It won't be something you hope that you give in order to receive. It's not a formula. You will give because the giver is in God himself who doesn't withhold anything. He didn't even withhold his own son. In the greatest hours of need, the greatest hours of depreciation, the greatest hours of loss and lack, where Jesus is in the garden praying, And he has the defining moment of saying, not my will, but thy will. He looks to God 
to his will again and to go to the cross because he knows that the greatest need that we have is that for God to give his greatest possession up in Jesus. And if that's true, if that truth hits us to the deepest parts of where you are, then it will tell you in every way. It will open your eyes to what others need. It will open your eyes to what you really need and assess it with truth and grace. And you will give freely in a way that transforms you. So I wanna ask you these things. And that's what it means when you have a treasure that does not fail, where no thief, no thief can break in. As they did, they would scratch through the dirt walls to get their possessions. So the question is this, and just wanna leave you with a few practical questions here. One is, how are you giving? How is the impact of the gospel, the good news, in light of all the news we're reading today? The gospel is still good news, it hasn't changed. And the fact that how, how is this news impacting your giving, not just to the church, but even to your neighbors, to the people around you, to the ways that you may be afraid, but maybe now you see God withheld nothing. He lost it all in order to gain us. How are you giving? Where are you giving your money, your time, your resources? How do you account for it? How do you talk about it? It's not easy to talk about. How do you think about those things? And here's the second part to that, second side maybe to that coin. How are you receiving? Because you know, many of you watching this or listening may not be in a place where you can actually give much or give it all. And the question really isn't just how are you giving, it's also how are you receiving? How are you taking in maybe receiving or asking of those your need? Looking to those around you to say, I really am hurting. I really have lost a lot. And even fiscally, I've lost a lot. Not just emotionally, but that you've lost a lot, that you're receiving. And then another question finally I want to ask is, how are you talking about this in community? How are you discussing this as people, maybe in a connect group on Zoom or maybe in other ways that how are you kind of holding one another, not just accountable, that's, that word can get thrown around, but how are you holding one another to the good news of the gospel that allows you to both give and receive, to both give to those that you see those in need and you give to them. Your hands are open and you also receive. You don't just take because it's happy, but you take because you need. You really un- know your need and you assess it. I always end a wedding ceremony this way when I'm doing it. And um, it's a quote by C.S. Lewis. He talks about this. But I always tell the couple when I'm speaking to them, I say, look, if you aim for your marriage, and this is what C.S. Lewis says, is if you aim for earth, you'll miss heaven. But if you aim for heaven, you'll get earth and everything thrown in. And I typically say this to couples. I say, look, if you you aim for your marriage, you're going to miss it. You might get some good things out of it, but you're going to miss it. But if you aim for heaven, if you aim for where marriage really begins with our relationship to God, then you'll get your marriage and everything else thrown in. And that's where we go with this. If we aim for heaven, if we look to the one who's our father, then we will get everything else thrown in. He never withholds from those who need. He never withholds without wisdom of us knowing our need and without us being in community where we love and one another 
love one another in our needs. Praise be to God that he is this kind and this practical about what we need in love. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you know what we need and you give to it. And thank you that you don't allow us, because you love us, you don't allow our possessions to own us, that you show us, even in times like this, where it is really hard and people are really hurting, that we can grieve our losses, we can grieve the losses that are happening now and the losses that are gonna happen in the next, maybe even several months. But you receive our grief, not our possessions so that we can not only go to you, but we, you've given us the church to help bring the good news to one another, to remind one another that the news over us isn't just that the Tao dropped again today, that it is, begins with the good news. It begins with the character of you, that our Father who art in heaven, and then leads us to ask, as we need to ask, Lord, we need to ask you, Give us this bread, our our daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil, from evil. For thine is the kingdom and thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me sing our doxology for us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. If you'd like, raise your hands and your hearts to receive the Lord's benediction. Now may that one who is a good father, who is a good pleasure to give you the entire kingdom to you. May that one, because he gives you everything, call your heart to sell and give to those around you and to receive because you are in need. And praise be to that God who comes in flesh to address every need of ours In Jesus Christ, amen. Go in peace.